Hi everyone, it's Joaki Makren, your host of the Elite Game Developers Podcast. Podcast about the entrepreneurs and investors who are building the games companies of the future. I'm back again with an Ask Me Anything episode where I've asked readers of my newsletter, the Elite Game Developers newsletter, to propose questions for my Ask Me Anything episode. So this is the second episode I'm recording with questions from the readers of my newsletter. So if you want to send out questions to me, the best place to approach me with these questions is to sign up for the Elite Game Developers newsletter at elitegamedevelopers.com slash newsletter. And there I usually share the link to these questions in a form that you can fill out. And I will try to get to your questions as soon as possible. I'm planning to do more of these episodes during the year. So here we're going to have a set of questions ranging from game design to recruitment to fundraising and other topics. So let's get going. But first, here's a few words from our sponsors. This podcast is sponsored by Favro, a new tool for collaborative planning that more and more game studios are starting to use. It was created by game industry veterans to help studios doing frequent live drops of features and content to get development, marketing, and other teams in sync. Check it out. There's a free trial at favro.com. And if you use the promo code ElitegameDevFavro, you're going to get a 25% discount on your purchase. That's favro.com. Are you a mobile game developer who's looking to try something new on the ad creative side? My top pick would be influencer-generated content, IGC, by Opera Event. Influencers and actors will make specific content from your games and Opera Event will deliver you high-quality video ads that highlight the best parts of your game. Go to getigc.com to see some examples. That's getigc.com. At Pollen VC, we're committed to helping game developers improve their financial literacy. That's why we've launched CFO Resources, a new section of our website that hosts a free suite of calculators and financial planning tools to help you plan your business and grow faster. Our financial forecaster tool helps you project cash flows and visualize your ROAS and LTV based on metrics you provide. And if you're a hyper-casual developer, you need to check our hyper-casual velocity calculator. Head over to pollen.vc and click CFO Resources to get started. The first question of today comes from Jormo. Jormo asks, uh, I was playing around with your co-founder equity split tool. Thank you for creating this tool. I'm curious to know how the calculator works and what are the modifications specifically behind these questions. And Jorma goes and lists out three questions. The first one is, 
which founders are working part-time and will join full-time once you get funding. The second question in the calculator that he's asking about is this one. If this founder left, your development schedule would be severely impacted. And the third question that Jorma brings up is who writes the blog and the marketing copy that goes on the site? And then Jorma elaborates. And how do I explain this to my co-founders? How do I tell them why certain things matter more than others? Thanks. So Jorma, this, like, I want to first explain a bit about this tool that you're talking about. So EliteGameDevelopers.com slash templates has a list of different kind of plank documents and tools and templates that I've created for entrepreneurs who are starting gaming companies or already doing a gaming company. So the co-founder equity split tool is used to dividing up the equity of the company at the start between the founders. And these questions sort of like when you check the boxes there, you're triggering certain calculations that will give more equity to the founder who is sort of taking more risk, taking more responsibility uh, or otherwise committing more into the startup. I'll first bring up the question that you asked at the end regarding how do you explain this to your co-founders? Well, all of these questions are based on my understanding of how people in startups value all the different founders that are involved. So like I just talked about all the ways that you can commit and take more risk than the rest of the, the founding team, you should get more equity based on that. Um, there are countless examples out there of how, how this happens usually, uh, that you split the equity at the start between the co-founder roles. In most cases, the CEO will get the most since they will have other kinds of duties compared to the programmers, to the product managers, artists, and others. And then you have the, the coders also getting a bigger stake as their skill set is more scarce. But I also believe there's, there's one of the questions in the calculators, which still matters even more, is which founders are coding most of the game? Because there's, there's a big sort of like heavy lifting effort going on, especially in bootstrapped non-funded startups where the game needs to sort of materialize through code. And that's where the most hours will be spent, uh, often taking like large risks. Uh, you might end up having one person who will be responsible for making the game to work, which is the coder. Uh, so it's sort of like from my experience, People who usually have most working hours in gaming startups are the coders. Like it happens early stage, later stage, wherever. It's always the coders who are doing most of the hard work. And there's a lot of coding in gaming. So one great way to get your co-founders to understand the logic behind this tool is to give them access and try it out. So transparency being transparent about your approach of using this tool, maybe like spending some time on like Zoom where you're sharing the, the screen 
to the calculator and everybody else is there as well uh, watching as you are using the tool so they get sort of like the sense of what's going on. So I think like splitting the early equity between co-founders should be fair and transparent because uh, then you bring the group into this whole process. And then you asked uh, me to elaborate specifically on these three different questions. I'll, I'll go back to these questions. So first one was, which founders are working part-time and will join full-time once you get funding? So the people who are already doing full-time work are taking a lot more risk on doing this. They don't have a comfortable salary somewhere. Uh, they're not committed to seeing seeing kind of like the funding go through before they jump in, they're already committed. Uh, if a co-founder will not join before there's funding, they are not as willing to take that risk. And I, I believe, as I was creating this calculator, that they shouldn't be compensated in a similar way. The second question you, you mentioned there was this, like if this founder left, the development schedule would be severely impacted. I think this question is looking at how critical this person is in your efforts. How easily could you replace them with another person? If it would be very hard and it would mean that the game might not even happen, like you gotta check this box for that person. And final one was like, who writes the blog and the marketing copy that goes on the site? Uh, this is a bit more broader than what the question actually points to. If you have a team member who is willing to do much of the outbound messaging for the company, that really does matter. Usually it also involves working on the pitch deck, working on like how your culture evolves, what kind of hiring decisions you're gonna be making. Uh, it's, it's not only about making a game, like, like making a company is a lot bigger effort about building like this organization that works really well. And this question really highlights that area. So I've noticed that many people join game studios just because they want to make games but you want to reward people who are also pushing the organization in different ways than just executing on the game specifically. So when, when you look at the calculator, some of the questions will not yield any changes specifically to the percentage unless you're already giving some responsibility to these founders. Uh, so you need to be checking some of the boxes more often for certain founders before they start uh, being like worth some kind of equity in the company. So to summarize, all I can say is play around with the tool and figure out what makes sense for you and your co-founding team and what is fair for specifically your team. And now we have a question from Anai. Unai asks, my question is, with a good presentation and a website and a playable demo and a good team around four to five people, can we get an investment? Are these good enough? 
which one is the most important asset here? Thank you. Well, thanks for asking this question, Onai. This this is a very, very good topic to bring up. Uh, like I'm getting pitched every day by several new startups who have all of these. But it's not this simple. Like you mentioned four assets for fundraising, your presentation, your website, a playable demo and a good team. And you are asking if this is good enough to get an investment. Um, I think I need to put my investor hat on here to think about this a bit more. So first off, the team matters the most. I look at the team in this way. So I want to see the CEO that they there is actually a CEO in the team, uh, clearly somebody who's going to be running the show. And are they a capable leader who is willing to grow personally? Like you want to show appetite for curiosity and to, to going after something, you know, interesting, different, some aspect there is like, we're not just copying what somebody else is doing, but we're actually building something interesting here. I need to see that you and your group of founders can talk about this curiosity and that feeling. I want to get a feeling that you are awesome and you can direct this company with a vision in mind and then step out of the way when the game teams start creating their own magic. So that, that whole process, it might be very hard for you to sort of like grasp that especially if you're early in your career. But then it's like, how do you show this excellence of curiosity and that you're going to be growing personally? Nobody is like a, a winner when they, they're born. They, they start learning and they're preparing themselves to become something special. So I want to see you being hungry to do that. And there's also the layer of sort of like getting a confidence from talking to you, like how focused are you? It can be hard to, to for me to continue a discussion if I can't really read the CEO and sort of like get a feel of like how, how well they are focused on completing what they've started with the company. So it's so much boils down to the CEO, I think, with the team always. Uh, but I, I want to iterate again about like what else should be in that team. So then you have a tech person or persons. Have they been coding games personally? Can they hire other coders and help them develop them? Uh, they don't necessarily need to lead. That's not something I'm looking for, but I think it's more about like, are they a great person who's going to be growing with the company to actually like have their own impact into what kind of company is being created. Uh, I don't really put that much weight on a title like CTO. You can be a games programmer, you can be engineer, whatever. Uh, I'd rather see uh, the CTO working inside a game team, making games and helping people in similar roles in the company versus like being a leader on top of an engineering team. 
Then another role that's very clear. So you have C C CEO, and then you have the tech person who is very capable, and then the game designer who is very capable. I'm keen on seeing someone in the team who has the capability of knowing game design, product, analytics, and being able to do what it takes to get the first game out into testing as quickly as possible, possibly doing some sort of UA tests uh, before you even code the game, and then continuously iterating and running tests rather than committing to six months of like development and then doing a soft launch. So you want that mindset there as well, that you're, you're doing quickly things to learn and to make changes and decisions based on the evidence that you're uncovering. So to summarize on the team, uh, they need to be capable enough and they need to have the ambition and they need to be doing what it takes to take the company into success. So I think like outside of the team, what I'm looking at is one important aspect, which is the market you are going after. Uh, like specifically right now, what is going on in the market and what might happen in the next 12 months. So I, as an investor, like to bet on live service-based games where you can acquire players through user acquisition. And when you're looking at the player lifetime value, it should be higher than what the cost of acquiring these players would be. If that doesn't sound like something you will be going after uh, once you get the fundraising done, I don't think you're specifically good fit for my investment thesis. So like I'm really underlining me because I'm, I'm specifically looking for certain companies. Then you have two dozen investors who are looking at different things. Um, there's a common like commonality with venture capital funds that they usually are more picky than your angel investors. But it might not actually be true. You still need to be sort of proving all of these aspects that I was just listing here, uh, not waiting for funding to happen before you start executing on your ideas. Think why it's so hard? Well, there's hundreds of new game studios getting formed every year. And I'm spending a lot of time with the ones who are who are capable and who are doing games specifically in this live service based space. So they're doing this rapid development, launching quickly, getting numbers, changing course, pivoting. But if you're doing premium games, VR games, or other non live games where you don't have a service to run, uh, it's much harder to predict and like what the success will be looking like. You don't have the metrics driven approach of making decisions. Like, do you kill the game? Do you still continue? Uh, and you're easily in this situation that one game project lasts too long and you, you might not actually be able to run affordable user acquisition. Uh, as you're competing against free to play constantly on these platforms. So to summarize on your question, 
here. I, I think like the website, the presentation, the playable demo and the team is fine. But what matters is what you have inside of your material. I need to believe in the team, the CEO specifically, that they are top of their group in gaming CEOs. And then I'm looking forward to seeing kind of like a live service based game. But again, this is just me and you can find other investors who are looking at other things. But I, I, I think the commonality with getting investment is that you have a team who knows what they're doing. You're going to be, you know, fundraising and then you need to do things very quickly. Uh, you need to be doing things that will move the company forward with the investor money and not learning the ropes of making games once you've raised the funding. So that's a great thing to keep in mind. If you cannot qualify for investment at the moment, it's always good to continuously be curious and learning. Maybe you still need to do a year or two of working at a game studio or doing bootstrapped activities to grow the company and grow your team like as becoming more knowledgeable and everything. So all of those matter. Here's a question from Hassan who asks, we are a hyper casual developer and we are interested in the new and emerging merge genre. We have been playing all the games in the genre, including Merge Mansion and others. We have some questions about this. Like, how should we select and validate a meta game for a merge game? We have a couple ones in mind, but we're still figuring out what should we work on. And then a couple of questions here about how to test the merge game, how to approach IAPs, what kind of benchmarks should we have? And Hassan continues that coming from hyper casual, uh, are there any points where we might not know what we should be doing and how we should extend our processes? And also, what are your opinions on developing or publishing a game like this since we've done most of our games with an external publisher? Thanks. That's a great set of questions, Hassan. Uh, regarding the meta game, I would say that you have two options here. You can either copy an existing meta from one of the prevailing merge games. Like I recently did a webinar with Colin Foss from Skunkworks, and he talks about how the whole merge mechanics work uh, and like if you played their games Merge Friends, you can really pick up a lot from there. I, I would say that the Merge 2D meta that, that is very prevailing now in all of those Merge games, I think it's a solid option to go. It's simple and there's relatively few new games in the Merge genre that are wandering far away from that kind of gameplay experience. Uh, so it's a safe option and you can treat this as like a, an opportunity to experiment on like how do you plan on moving away from hyper casual versus spending a lot of time innovating on the merge game itself. 
you're taking a project on here which you you won't be able to test in a week like you do with hyper casual it might it might take a month or two so it's already letting you to practice the ropes of uh, developing a deeper game but with a red rather kind of safe uh, culpable core and meta game if you're just going after the merge mansion games that are out there so regarding the meta game that you were asking like if you want to try out something there whatever you choose from some of the existing metas i would evaluate the the monetization and long-term engagement potential of the meta that you pick pick both through playing the game yourself uh, all of the merge games and and like getting a feel of what the flow is like um, you can use tools like app annie to to understand what the long-term engagement and monetization looks like for these different merge games so there was a recent podcast with nick from voodoo at berlin uh, talking about their merge game plantopia that they have in their works and he talks a lot about innovation for that game so the podcast is called uh, mastering retention and the episode from nick uh, from voodoo came out in may of 2021 so if you ask me about innovation, one area that I think uh, you could try is to develop your own metagame. But it is there are a lot of risks related to that. I would say it's like if you're thinking about this 80-20 of 80 proven and 20 innovation, I sort of feel that developing your own meta is over the 20 already. So it's very, very risky. Um, so... If you have something better in mind than what is in the existing merge games and you you have the runway and the capability to test things out, it might be might be a worth avenue, but it's it always is its own rabbit hole that you go down into because it is harder to change and tweak and iterate things in a, a new totally different metagame. Uh, since you don't know what is causing retention numbers to be good or not. So like work, do a lot of homework before you commit to a meta, before you just test it out with the players, because you might reveal a lot of stuff already before you do those actual tests. So with, with any kind of meta game that you choose, you want to have a setup that gives you enough interesting and meaningful content for the player to be interested in engaging in the game for months, uh, possibly even years inside the gameplay. So you were asking about testing uh, these kind of games. If you if you watch the recording with Colin that I did, uh, he talks about building the core gameplay experience and constantly testing it with the team. They had a goal to soft launch after eight weeks of development to have enough content to have players playing for a few days. And then they continued developing the content from there to, to have more visibility into day 30 and day 60 retention numbers. So I'd set a, this kind of clear date when you want to soft launch and what content you need to have for the first soft launch. Make it very sort of like a compact, tight, and even a bit like opportunistic uh, deadline that you definitely want to meet like launch as early as possible 
and I just continuing the testing from there, like make everybody in the company play the game, give feedback, learn what's working, what's not working, like surface all the problems that you might be having with the game and don't let anybody sort of like keep any sort of like bad news away from your your development efforts. Just, you know, tackle those bad thoughts early on and change things, do big changes if possible. And then talking about the, the IAPs in this kind of game, like in-app purchases, uh, I would focus on first getting into like the day seven to day 30 retention numbers before you start tackling monetization. So you wanna have day 30 at above 15%. I think the, the reason here that a lot of people delay on monetization is that these games will live or die based on how the day 30 performs. Like if you're not hitting day 30 with a good like 15%, the monetization is not going to be your problem. It's going to be that people just don't stick around. Um, like then, like if you think about some of the benchmarks out there, like day one, uh, closer to 60% would be awesome. That's sort of like you're in the clear. If you're going below 50%, then it's tough uh, in that genre to actually like make a significant difference. So the performance fluctuates a lot in these games. So for instance, like some of the geos that you're gonna be launching will have totally different numbers, like uh, tier one countries like Western Europe, uh, North America are the best places to, to soft launch a game like this because that's where the core audience is. Like I've seen numbers in certain parts of the world where the retention numbers weren't as great and that's where you're anyways not going to get most of your paying customers. So focusing on the big market first matters the most. So yeah, in an essence, like thinking about merge, it's one of the safest genres out there. Uh, as you move to more like a deeper, more long-term retaining game versus like hyper casual that you've been used to. So I think Merge is a quick place to develop skills and to test what kind of issues might come up early on. Um, and of course, like Merge, game, Merge games will have more systems in place. There's elaborate game economy there. So you wanna know how the grid restrictions work in the Merge games, how these items spawn, how do you use the inventory, how the energy mechanic works all together with everything. So you'll want to examine the other parts of the game as well to understand all the nuances of the economy. So that's not a light task. You really want to put somebody smart to work on the economy of the game. So if you don't have anybody who's worked on free-to-play game economies before, you have a few options there. Either start building your own knowledge internally by having somebody volunteer or being picked as the sort of like the intern uh, game economy designer. Um, they would have to learn all the ins and outs of these merge game economies. I think the second option here, which is also also a quicker route, is to to hire a person who has done 
came economy design, like a consultant uh, who could do a breakdown of what usually happens in these other games and like how do you engineer that into a new game. Um, but you will still want to have your own game economy designer in-house so that you know they they should take on the work from the consultant. They can learn a lot from the consultant, but you're building in-house knowledge by having somebody working close to this consultant who will take on this role later on. So I've seen this happen a lot in companies where they're bringing in an engineer early to help out build out features for games. And then somebody takes over as they're sort of like working together on it. And then the consultant is sort of like freed and you can, you can start doing more stuff in-house. So as a final question, you asked about uh, publishing, like self-publishing versus uh, doing the publisher route. Um, if you want to build user acquisition understanding in your studio, I would definitely go with the self-publish option. Because one reason there is that these merge games can become really big and you're going to have a lot of live ops going through. Like all of that stuff will eventually lead to a game that could run for 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 years for 10 years or 20 years like if you look at merge mansion and metagore uh, they weren't planning on making a small game they raised a ton of money from supercell and they're building that game now like some big studio would launch a casual game so like if you want if you have the ambition level there, I would definitely build that internally, those skills, raise cash to build your own publishing activities, but only after you've proven the game. So you don't really need user acquisition knowledge at very like you know high level when you're still soft launching. But after you prove the game through your soft launch, then you want to bring the publishing in-house. The last question for today comes from Serdar. In the first year of the game company, how to not struggle building up the team culture? Do you have any practical advice that you have experienced? Thank you. Well, Serdar, this is, a, is an excellent topic and many of you must be thinking about it, but don't really have a clear approach on team culture and evolving that into a company culture. So I've written a lot about company culture on elite game developers. I have this article about the games company culture pyramid, where I visualized four different layers of a game games company culture as this pyramid where the bottom layer is your people where you want to be focused on. How do you create the, the best place for people to work on games really? And then the layer goes towards learning, to trying new things, building, talking, listening, being creative with data uh, and making decisions and learning from making those decisions. And then the second uh, from the top would be the execution layer where you're moving quickly, you don't spend too much time because time is your fuel, really. You cannot spend too much of it if you're not getting to the, re to 
the, the moments where you can make decisions. So you want to be in those positions where you can make the best decision. And even if you if you fail and you make the wrong decision, you want to have so many moments like that where the decision happened because those are the places where you're going to be learning the most. You sort of like face the facts and you go forward and see what happens next. And finally, I think having a great culture is what leads to these game development companies to actually like create cool looking games. So like there's there's a lot of books out there on culture. There's the Netflix book called No Rules Rules, which is a great book to read. And then if you're if you're interested in sort of more revolutionizing how companies and organizations are built, there's this other book called Reinventing Organizations, which talks about the flat hierarchy. Um, and it's a, it's a big book. There's a lot of cool stuff there, which are very well applicable to gaming companies. I see a lot of things that Supercell built that are sort of like, also like very much theorized in that book. So yeah, a great way to learn is to, to read more of these books and share them with your founding team and make your group sort of like this book club who analyzes and understands that, hey, this is the things that we need to pick up into our company playbook. So if, if I like start underlining what are sort of like the ways that you can really effectively start working on your culture. So first off, start as soon as possible, since when you're a smaller group of people, you can create a foundation for your culture by defining clearly the purpose of the company. Like, why does our audience need us to exist? You want to answer the, the, the question, the purpose question of why do we exist? Why does this company need to exist? So the best purposes that I've seen are always customer centric. So the focus is on these players and how do we how do we create the best thing for the players? And how do you feel that the games that you will create will bring joy to these players? There's often talk about vision for companies. I recently read this book called Beyond Entrepreneurship 2.0, uh, which was authored by Jim Collins, who's also written books like Good to Great, Built to Last, and others. And he he w goes down into like talking about what vision is, that it actually consists of your values and beliefs and the purpose of the company and a mission. I believe you should work on all of these three. So once you know the purpose of what your company stands for, you can talk about the mission, which will be hard to achieve. But it's a state where the company is when it has achieved its mission. Uh, I'm a big fan of like these kind of, we want to be the best workplace for game developers game developers in Finland versus a mission of, hey, we want to have a top 20 grossing game. I think the reason is that a great workplace and a great culture will create great games as a side effect. 
so you don't need to underline your sort of like the end product but rather the systems that you're going after that's that's something i've recently liked a lot about the missions that i've seen so if you feel that the vision is hard to work on and the purpose is also daunting i would start with the values because they're going to be the guidelines of how you operate and behave in the company because you you're also setting sort of like something that you internally believe in as being what the company is all about so you really want to be honest like is something very intrinsic for you what do you really feel in your gut is the right thing to do uh, and there's there's always ways to think about like hey this if if things would be optimal in the world this is how we would be operating in this company let's try for that so i'm a fan of looking at what other companies have written like i mentioned netflix there's also a lot of books on amazon so in gaming i've always been inspired by supercell and the independent teams model that they have that the game teams know best what is the best for the players and not the management or the ceo uh, they just get out of the way and let the game teams work on the games so if you are a team of founders just starting out one way to approach culture is to talk about the culture uh, constantly work on it as, a, as the company grows, ask what's working, what isn't, uh, make it intentional. There's, there's like in the, in the Pixar book from Ed Catmull, this Creativity Inc. book, there's an ending chapter on their notes day, which was a big company-wide workshop where they had listed questions of like, like, what is sort of like something that we want to strive for like in five years we're gonna have this and this happening in the company like how do we how do we achieve that and then you, they have a workshop on that topic for 45 minutes and then people were going into the different workshops it was it was a fascinating way to sort of surface also things that were not working in the company because oftentimes we're just too busy to to see the problems that are that we're facing that everybody knows about but we're not talking about them because that's the way we do we don't talk so i i think like surfacing a lot of things like constantly working on the culture is what you want to do so one final thing i'd like to add you want to create the safe environment at work if it's not safe people will start holding back even whatever kind of workshops you do. They won't talk about what is wrong, what could be better, because they, they're fear in some sort of punishment there. Like the, the best way to create this safe environment is that the leaders, the founders of the company, go out on the limb and talk about their shortcomings, areas where they have failed, and they're showing this vulnerability of opening up about what they're doing wrong and how they're learning from their failures. I think this will show people that is, it is safe to talk about what you have on your mind. If you have more questions like these, please do send them out by filling out my questionnaire. You can find it 
by going to elitegamedevelopers.com slash anything. Type together without any spaces. I'll also link that into the show notes. Uh, but yeah, uh, this was it for this week. Uh, I'm gonna see you next week again, guys. Take care. Bye bye.